May our thoughts, words, and actions be holy and acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. This morning we find ourselves here on the second Sunday after Epiphany. Well into this season of Epiphany, we walk through Jesus' early ministry. We follow him as he performs his first miracles, as he calls the first people into community with him. In the Gospel lesson we just heard, we, we hear the author of John recounting Jesus' baptism by John the Baptist. It's a slightly different perspective than what we heard last week from the Gospel of Matthew. In the Gospel of Matthew, we hear a literal account of what happened, the physical actions. Well, in John, it's just sort of glossed over. We hear John the Baptist saying that he baptized Jesus, but we don't read about the baptism itself. Our reading begins with John having a declaration of faith. He proclaims, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is what this whole scene is about. It's about revealing Jesus' truest nature to the world, showing that Jesus is divine, the Word in flesh. John shares that he saw the Spirit descending upon Jesus at his baptism, alerting him that this was the one who will baptize not with water, but the Spirit. From the very beginning of this story, we know who Jesus is. The powerful one attested to by the Spirit who will take away the world's sins. Now, sometimes we get in our head this idea that because John was out in the wilderness, he was all by himself, he was just sitting out there eating honey and locusts, and no one was around him. But there were people gathered around him. He had students and followers and his own disciples. And we read that he was walking around with two of his disciples, and they see Jesus, and he reiterates, saying, look, here is the Lamb of God. The German theologian Ernst Hansen suggests that in these words there is a command and a release. It's not just an observation, but John is pointing the way for his disciples, saying, go there. There is the Lamb of God. And this is sort of what the Baptist's work was all about. It was pointing towards Jesus, making people ready, preparing the way. And so the two leave John, and they begin to follow Jesus. Now, not follow in the disciple sense, but literally follow him around. It's sort of a a strange scene. You know, John didn't introduce them to Jesus. He didn't gather them for a meal and said, you know, Jesus, here's so-and-so, so-and-so, here's Jesus. They just sort of like stalk Jesus around the town and they follow him. It's really quite bizarre. I wonder if there was some sort of trepidation in their movements. They didn't know how to approach him. I mean, it's strange. Do you walk up to someone and say, hey, I heard you're the Lamb of God. Can you tell me about that? Bizarre. I wonder if they were arguing about the best way to approach Jesus, disagreeing on what they should say. 
But whatever was going on, Jesus ends it by turning around, addressing them, and saying, what are you looking for? To which they have this really strange response. Where are you staying? It's a weird thing to say. I mean, what's going on here? Were they being nosy? Is there some sort of social discomfort here? Does it sound strange because we come from a vastly different culture? In my reading, in, in what I hear is a sort of awkwardness, a sort of not knowing how to be perceived. I mean, here's this person who was revealed to be the Messiah, the Lamb of God. And what do you say to someone like that when they turn around and speak to you? And so the disciples just blurt out, where are you staying? Now, perhaps I read it this way because this is something that I have done in the past many times, unfortunately. Probably many of you know Bishop Shaw, new Bishop Shaw. I'm sure he has been here many times. And one of the things that he liked to do was during diocesan convention, he liked to have lunch with all of us who were in the ordination process. Now, he made the process a little bit difficult. He liked us to keep us on our toes. And so it was always a little bit of an awkward lunch. And so one year I decided to outsmart the process. And I signed up for a job that I knew was going to take me a really long time. And so I would get to lunch later than everybody else. And so, true enough, that happened, and I was with two of my friends who were counting ballots, and we made those ballot counting very long. And so, by the time we got down, we were about 15 minutes late for lunch. And I was super relieved because the seats around Bishop's Shaw would be filled. That was not the case. The only empty seats were the ones that were around Bishop's Shaw. So, we go walking into the room, and my friend Marissa and Noah are ahead of me, and Bishop Shaw says to Marissa, Marissa, sit right here next to me. And I said, Phew. And then he turns to me and goes, Christopher, sit on my other side. And at least I had Marissa and Noah who were next to me because they could help with the conversation. But what they immediately proceed to do is turn to the side, so it's just me and Bishop Shaw. So everything I had been dreading happened to come into that moment. Now, there were a lot of nice things that I could have said to Bishop Shaw. He had just been diagnosed with a brain tumor. So sharing with him that I was praying for him, that I was concerned about him, asking about his health, or asking about one of his many passions, such as pottery, would have been a good thing to say. But no, I turned to him and I said, how does it feel to be the person in the room that nobody wants to sit next to? <laughs> Not what I meant to say, but it's what came out in that moment, in that awkwardness of that interaction. Thankfully, he laughed and found it funny, but perhaps that's why I'm reading awkwardness into this interaction with Jesus. These moments of awkwardness, I think, come more naturally to some of us than others, but I imagine we've all experienced something like that. And the beauty, the good news in this morning's story is that Jesus hears behind the awkward questions. He sees to the heart of the matter, and he responds with kindness and compassion. He hears the layers of desire that are underneath this question, where are you staying? In that question, there's a desire to be with Jesus. 
There's a desire to know more about Jesus. There's a desire to share in Jesus' life. And sure, it's awkwardly expressed as, where are you staying? But it's there. Jesus hears the intention, the desire within their hearts, and responds accordingly, saying, come and see. I think it's a really intimate, beautiful moment that gives us insight into the character of God. A glimpse of holy compassion and understanding of human nature. In the midst of the disciples' awkwardness, Jesus offers understanding, companionship, and guidance. The seemingly untouchable Lamb of God, the person beyond sacredness, offers the simple words, Come and see. I wonder how often we allow awkwardness into our spiritual lives and practices. I think too often it's something that we try to avoid as we seek the perfect words or the perfect way of being. As Anglicans, we're inheritors and caretakers of the Book of Common Prayer. More than a unified theology or a story founder, it's the way that we pray that binds us together and unites us as Anglicans. It's a masterful piece of spirituality, employing all the beauty and majesty of the English language to insist us in, assist us in encountering the divine. But it's also a tool that precludes the possibility of awkwardness. Maybe that's why we love it and we seek it out. We have exquisite words for most anything we come across, and, and through them we participate in those who have prayed the prayers before. But I can't help but wonder, would we experience God differently if we allowed ourselves to be awkward? If we let ourselves to be just who we are in our sort of gangliness in the divine presence. I mean, there's an inherent awkwardness in our relationship with God. And God who is all around us, the one in whose image we were created, God, the very source of our being, our beginning and our end, the one in whom we live and move and have our being. This is the one who we have a deep relationship with but it's not like our other relationships. God doesn't call us or text us. God doesn't sit down at the dinner table table with us as Jesus did with his friends. God is omnipresent and yet not present in a way that we're comfortable with. I mean, how can this relationship not feel awkward at times? Sometimes when we feel that God isn't there, that can be awkward. Sometimes when we feel God's presence, we don't know how to act. And that also can be awkward. But this awkwardness cannot stop us or prevent us from seeking what we desire, because it's in that vulnerability that comes with awkwardness, that opening of ourselves, that we find in awkwardness and not in perfection, that we can find God in a deep and profound way. It's, it's sort of about being who we truly are, no matter what the circumstances, dropping the facade, dropping all those things that we put up to make ourselves feel better and to protect ourselves. It just being awkward, opening a new place, 
new way of being in relation with God. So be also. Come to Jesus like those two disciples did millennia ago, not worrying about getting the words perfect, or looking perfectly, or being a perfect thing. Be unsure, uncertain, because God sees past all of that. God can see to our heart and our deep longing and desire for Jesus and the kingdom. And I think that it's in this vulnerability, it's in this weakness, in this awkwardness, that we can most clearly hear the voice of Jesus saying to each and every one of us, Come and see.